The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. You know, I had somebody ask me the other day if it's weird to be a man speaking at a women's conference. I said, I live in a house surrounded by women, so <laughs> this is just like home for me. Just far less waiting for the bathroom, so that's cool. <laughs> Sorry, was that inappropriate? <laughs> well, good morning. I'm glad that you're, you're with us all, this, that you're with us this morning. You know, this is such a, a wonderful opportunity to connect with other women within the church and to, to build on those relationships. So it's, it's important that you're here, and thank you. you know, Pastor Brian and I are, are looking at different passages of Scripture, but with a similar topic. Now, that may mean that we each say similar things, and when that happens, I hope that, I hope that actually encourages you. It can be encouraging to be reminded that we have multiple places in Scripture to run to when we're struggling. This idea of fear or anxiety or worry or uncertainty, especially during this time, it, it feels so relevant. Few of us need to spend much time coming up with things to be anxious about. When I, when I think about this topic, I'm reminded of early in Jessica's and my, my marriage. When we were first married, I had graduated from college here in Ashland. I went to SOU. And Jessica was going to college at a small private school in Jackson, Tennessee. She had one year left when we got married. So uh, we, we packed up and moved across country so that she could finish her degree. Now... I was born and raised in Oregon, and to be honest, other than some trips to California, I really had only left the state just a handful of times. So when we were in Tennessee, we loved it there. In fact, we actually strongly considered staying after, after Jessica was done with school. Now, if you've ever lived in the South, you know that most communities have these tornado sirens that go off from time to time. In the town that we lived in, they would go off every Saturday at noon just as a test. But the, these alarms would also go off just at, at random times, almost like they were broken. And so you learn to almost just tune them out. It's real safe. Well, one Sunday evening in January, not a typical time of year for tornadoes, we heard the sirens going off and started to hear this strange noise outside of our apartment. Now, being an Oregon boy, I did what you would expect. I went outside. I wanted to see what the noise was. I heard this strange noise as though the freeway or the airport were right outside our apartment door. Then there was this pounding on the front door of our apartment. We lived in, in married housing. It was security telling us that there was a tornado and we needed to go downstairs. Now... We didn't really know these neighbors who lived downstairs. And when you're huddled in their bathroom for hours, that can be awkward. And you get to know them pretty well, whether you want to or not. Now, obviously, we, we survived. But there were two separate F4 tornadoes that hit the town that we lived in that night. Not too long after that, we decided, you know, we'll take forest fires and earthquakes over tornadoes. So we moved back to Oregon after Jessica graduated. But for several weeks after that night, you heard 
every time that alarm was set off for a test. Your heart sank for a split second. There was a certain fear that you now had that you didn't have before. We were of no greater threat or risk than we were before, but now we had a better sense of what could happen. And isn't that so often the way that fear or anxiety works? Let's take a look at what our text this morning is. I want to focus on Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. I hope you have a Bible so that you can be looking at this text as we talk about what this passage says. If you don't have one, there's a table in the back. So Philippians chapter 4 and verses 4 through 9. Let's read it now. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you please pray with me? Father God, we love you. Oh, we are so thankful that you have orchestrated this time for us to be together this morning. We are thankful that you are in control, that you are good, that you can be trusted. We thank you that you know that we will have fear, and that you tell us to bring those concerns to you. Father, help us during our time this morning. Let this be a time of encouragement, a time to connect with others in your family, and a reminder of your grace and mercy. Humble our hearts and give us ears to hear. Give me the words that I would share your word in a way that is clear and helpful this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, let me start by asking you a question. Would you want to live your entire life with no anxiety? Now, think about this for a moment. Don't answer too quickly. What is the opposite of anxiety? Some have said that the opposite of anxiety is indifference, being indifferent to the world around you. We'll touch on this later, but I think that there's a better word that is the opposite of anxiety. But it does seem that most often we tend to grow anxious over things that we care about. So it would stand a reason to say that if you just stop caring, you won't be anxious anymore. So would you want to live your entire life with no anxiety? Would you want to live your entire life without caring about anything or for anyone? David Pallison describes anxiety this way. He said, anxiety is a God-given capacity 
for knowing that something bad is going on in your world, either in the past, the present, or the future. This is not necessarily negative. There's a right kind of anxiety that leads us to express loving concern for others in the midst of their trouble and draws us to take refuge in God when we are in trouble. He says, think of it this way. Anxiety is like the red light flashing on your car's dashboard. When the check engine light goes on, you know something is wrong with your car. You don't know exactly what's wrong, but you do know that it's time to take it to the mechanic. Would you want to drive without those lights to warn you of an engine problem? Probably not. It's better to take care of car trouble before you break down on the open road. The same is true of your anxiety. It's a warning. It is warning you about trouble in your world and trouble in your heart. God has hardwired us to be aware of trouble. If you don't feel intense concern from time to time, you are ignoring real trouble. Instead of looking for a technique to numb yourself, you need to understand, harness, and channel your anxiety in constructive ways. Anxiety is telling you that you are trusting in something other than God and you need to heed the warning and run to him. Usually when we are anxious, we would prefer to to sprint to some magical answer. We want an answer and a fix to our solution right away. Yet our worries are oftentimes best engaged at a more deliberate pace. We've all probably heard that life is like a marathon. It's not a sprint. Or as Jerry Bridges puts it, it's a marathon with hurdles. Whether you are 22 or 102, it's still a marathon. When you're older, it can seem comforting because, well, you're at mile 22. The end is closer. You're almost done. But it's been hard. You're tired. More things hurt at mile 22 than did at mile 2. If you're at mile 2, maybe you feel good because you still have energy. There's still bounce in your step. You might get overwhelmed thinking about, oh, 24.2 miles to go. But your energy is good. The person at mile 22 should be careful to not overwhelm or burden the person at mile 2 with talk of how hard it's going to be. Saying things like, oh, you think this is tough, just wait until... Or act as though you have nothing to share or nothing to tell. You've made it thus far. You have things to share. You have things to tell. In the same way, the person at mile two would be foolish to not ask questions. Ask questions about what lies ahead. To ask questions about what they did to make it that far. The person at mile two should not act like the person at mile 22 could not possibly understand what they're going through. After all, it was easier when they were at mile two. The weather was nicer. You know, one thing that I've noticed over the years, whether someone is older or younger, oftentimes we are convinced that we have it harder than those who went before us and those who have come after us. And the truth is that can't be true for everyone. This is why it's good that you're here today. You have things to share with each other. 
You have things to learn from each other. And we can all relate to some degree with the topic of fear or anxiety or worry or uncertainty. So on the topic of of worry or being anxious, God's word hits on two themes. That God is near and that he gives grace and power that you need today. We read in Psalm 55, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. When we talk about the topic of fear and anxiety, what comes to your mind? For example, would I say that I have a fear of spiders? I would say that I have a healthy respect for them. I find them terrifying. So, okay, yeah, I, I guess... I guess I would say that I have a fear of spiders. But you know, there are some that can jump. That just feels wrong. That's an unfair advantage. And don't even get me started on the fact that some people keep them as pets. It's like living with a serial killer. But that's not the kind of fear that keeps us up at night, usually. We're talking about anxiety that we stew over. It often has to do with concerns about our future, the unknown. It's often connected to safety or comfort. So many of us have fears, and yet we know what Scripture says. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We know this, but it's hard. There's trouble in this world. We often feel that we have good reason to be anxious. In the midst of trouble, our hearts forget God. And we get attached to other masters, to all kinds of desires, needs, beliefs. Living in a world where there is trouble, with hearts that quickly stray, or as one of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount, words it, We are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God we love. This means that we will always be tempted to lose sight of God. When we lose sight of God, we try to control our own world. And then we become filled with worry. But we don't have to despair. God, in his word, gives us better and imperishable reasons for responding to the troubles of life in faith. You can learn to remember God instead of forgetting him. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him so intimately and trust him so completely that our desire to fix our troubles in our own way will no longer consume us. As we grow in our love for God, we will experience the right kind of concern in the midst of our troubles. There's a wonderful sentence in Psalm 94, 19. It says, When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. 
The writer of this psalm clearly very aware of his own inner experience. He is aware that he can get preoccupied and burdened and his mind can get spun up. The New American Standard Bible words this verse this way. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me. We get this picture of them building on top of one another. Stacking up. But then, again, reading the New American Standard Bible, it says, Your consolations delight my soul. The Bible gives us many reasons, comforts, and consolations to do battle with our anxiety. It's no surprise that some of those conclusions can be found in the Psalms. But there are also many other consolations found in Paul's letter to the Philippians, especially in chapter 4, our text this morning. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything. Now, he's not telling you to to gird your loins, get a grip, or be a stoic. Instead, the passage gives you reasons to not be anxious. God's comfort for his anxious people are right alongside his admonition to deal rightly with our anxiety. Consider how these change how you deal with your anxiety. Let's look at Philippians 4, 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul reminds the church that the Lord is near. This is not a statement concerning the second coming of Christ. Rather, this is an affirmation that the Lord is near to his people in order to give his joy to troubled hearts. This is a simple reminder of Christ's closeness to his people in a time of unrest to grant his peace to calm hearts. Such closeness by the Lord to his people is a reminder that all believers need to hear. Jesus assured his disciples in Matthew 28, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what the Lord spoke to Paul amid his difficulties in Corinth. For I am with you. David testified in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. If you think about your anxiety reactions, the unhealthy worry, fretting, and churning, you'll notice that you've often forgotten that the Lord is near. When you worry and obsess You are living as if it's just you and your struggles going one-on-one. If you remember, even in the worst circumstances, that the Lord is near, then you will have a rock on which your heart can rest. You have a hope that is bigger than any threat, even death. You draw near to the Lord who is close. After all, this Lord created the whole universe and controls every moment of your life. He counts the hairs on your head and notices each one that falls. Now, I'm going to be honest. That part about the Lord knowing the number of hairs on your head. For some of us, that's a little less impressive. But at a women's conference, probably you have a better appreciation of that than somebody like myself. The sands on the, sea, on the seashore, that's, that's better for me. 
See, I can make bald jokes, but you can't. That's the way it works. We are living in his world. This is God's world. And this Lord is not only the all-powerful creator of the world, but he has also experienced firsthand the anxiety-producing fragility of life. This Lord anguished honestly. He trusted his father with his life because he knew his father's love. This Lord is near you. He is raised from the dead. He will raise you with him. Oh, and you know this is true. And you have a hope bigger than any loss. What you have been given in the Lord and what you will be given on the day you see his face is greater. It weighs more and has more lasting power than anything you might lose here on earth. Or Philippians 4, 6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The Lord is listening. Paul instructs the Philippians to avoid being anxious in their Christian lives. Anxious means to be troubled with cares. The idea is literally to be pulled in different directions or to be pulled apart. The picture is to suffer the tension of your hopes pulling in one direction and the trials of life pulling in the opposite direction. The person in such a situation feels like she is being pulled apart and is at a breaking point. Steve Lawson says, he says this about worry. He says, worry, it comes from an old English word meaning to strangle. He said, this is a good image because stress chokes our inner life and sometimes the way we feel physically, robbing us of peace. Worry squeezes the life out of the heart, strangling all enjoyment of life. To be anxious is to be a worrier, to be fearful and distressed. And such anxiety compromises our faith in the sovereign purpose of God. And in that way, Anxiety robs us of our joy. Worry is a failure to trust that God is in control. It reveals that we are not sure that God will provide what we need in his perfect timing. Worry is gazing at my problems and self-reliance or self-pity or both. Rather than looking to the Lord in dependence. Worry is the failure to believe the promises of God in his word. This does not mean that we should not be concerned about issues in our lives in the midst of difficulties. Yet Paul stresses that believers must, must not be pulled apart and strangled of peace and joy. We must not be anxious and worried. So how do we do this? How do we fight anxiety? There's one primary cure for worry, and that is prayer. Again, looking at verse 6, And everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In this context, these prayers address whatever is causing the anxiety and stealing our peace of mind. Notice the stark contrast between everything and nothing. The believer is to be anxious for nothing, but praying about everything. 
Everything carries the idea of every troubling situation that threatens the peace of God. So Paul tells us in this passage to make our requests known to God. Think about that for a minute. The Lord, the the creator of the universe, wants us to come to him, to make our requests known to him. Many psalms start out pleading with God, saying things like, Lord, listen to me. Bend your ear. You must hear me. I need you to listen and act on my behalf. These are not calm psalms. They are intense and pointed. In Psalm 28, David tells God that if God doesn't hear him, he will die. This is faith talking. And David talks this way because God is listening. Now, God's listening does not guarantee that what is making you anxious will go away. That your financial problems will be solved. That you will be cured of cancer. Or whatever else is worrying you will disappear. You may not be healed. People you love may die. And you may struggle with financial stress. But God. But God comforts, he strengthens, gives hope in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. So when you're anxious, pour your heart out to God because he is listening. Here's another consolation that will encourage your soul in the midst of anxiety. Paul says in verse 7 of our text, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. The peace of God guarding and watching over us is a theme that that runs through the entire Bible. In Psalm 121, for example, David says seven times that God is watching over you. Who is watching you? The Lord, the creator of the whole universe. The one who has intimate power over every circumstance. When the Lord is present, his His peace is present. Paul says in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. When you read about David in the Bible, the constant refrain is that the Lord was, was with him. He grew very frail, and yet the Lord was with him. His life was a picture of living faith, a faith that faced trouble squarely and still knew the peace of God because he knew that God was with him. When you are anxious, remember that your God is guarding you with his peace. Now God taught Paul a secret that we all need to know. The secret of contentment. Contentment is not the same as indifference. Contentment is the godly opposite of worrying and obsessing. When you worry... You're trying to hold on to what you might lose. You're trying to grab on to what you don't have. Indifference means that you're trying to not care about what you don't have or what you might lose. Well, that's not contentment. Contentment offers a fundamental stability that comes from knowing that the all-powerful Lord of the universe is near. He is listening to your cries and guarding you day and night. He is sovereign. He is good. And he can be trusted. 
Paul learned contentment by depending on the Lord. He said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul knew that no matter the circumstances of his life and how they changed, God would be his constant, faithful, and loving protector. So how can you live with the same confidence that Paul had in God? The antidote to anxiety is not some mental trick like, well, rehearse some Bible truth. Say this calming promise over and over to yourself. Remind yourself that you are a child of God and your anxiety will just disappear. Those are good things. But God is after something bigger. You are his child. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to talk to him. He intends for your anxiety, your troubles, and your response to your troubles to drive you to him. He doesn't intend for us to artificially calm ourselves with truisms. God's peace comes to us as our relationship with him becomes deeper and more honest and more intimate. How does this happen? Verse 6 of our text. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God wants to hear what's on your heart. He wants you to need him, to go to him, to plead with him about your real problems. He tells you to tell him all about your troubles, the health problems, the financial worries, the straying child, the grief and loss you've experienced, your fears about the future. He tells you to confess to him the sins that drive your sinful anxiety, the idols that have hijacked your life. He wants you to ask for forgiveness for your lack of trust and faith and for desiring his good gifts more than him. So you begin with with total honesty and say, Lord, I don't understand. Help me to understand you. Admit to him that although your words say you believe he is in control, your anxious thoughts reveal the truth. You still desire to be in control. And if you're really honest, you can admit that you trust your control more than you trust his. Ask God to teach you how to close the gap between what you say you believe and how you think and function on a day-to-day basis. God will use your honest confession to build a relationship with him that will give you true and lasting peace. Your growing and deepening relationship with God is what will transform your anxious thoughts into humble faith and trust. So you must set your mind on what is true. Philippians 4.8 again says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think on these things. Dwell on these things. This means to think about it and to be focused upon it mentally. Notice this this is the present tense, meaning that they should always be thinking on these things. This is, there's never a day off from the requirement to do this. 
So this is saying that we focus on what is right, on what is true. Anxiety is full of lies. What are some of them? Well, first, you believe the world needs to be under your control. Second, you think it's out of control. And third, you imagine that your worry will get it under control, or that it takes you to get it under control. But the truth is that it's God's world. He controls it, and your worry will not change a thing. So when you're tempted to worry, reject the lie that it is up to you to keep yourself and those you love safe. Especially reject all lies that contain the word more. For example, I would be safe if I had more friends, more money, more time, more respect. Also reject all the lies that contain the word different. If I just had a different spouse, a different family, different friends, a different job, a different house, a different church. These statements are all fundamentally false. Ask God to help you anchor your mind on what is true, and then you'll be able to tackle your real problems in the right way. Paul ends this section with a call to action in verse 9. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. There is something to be done right now. We are to practice the lifestyle of contentment. Pastor Brian, I believe, will be covering this more. But Jesus says much the same thing to his disciples when he talks talks to them about anxiety. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Practicing the lifestyle of contentment means doing something today. We are called to address only today's trouble. I want to try try an experiment. Imagine this in your head. Maybe you can actually try this later. Many of us, we have have lots of plates spinning in our minds. If you were to write down everything that you're fretting about, how long would that list be? I think you would find that it's actually comforting to write them all down. Because you'll notice that it's a finite list. When all your problems are spinning around in your mind, they seem bigger and more numerous. Now, what is God calling you to do? To help you answer this question, begin by, I want you to imagine two circles. One is six feet in diameter, and the other is six inches in diameter. What you need to do today is in the little six-inch circle. Whatever is in the larger six-foot circle, you have to leave that in God's hands because you can't control or do anything about those worries. Think again of your list of worries. Put all the problems you can't solve into the larger six-foot circle. For example, if you're worrying about whether whether or not you're going to get Alzheimer's one day, you can say, you know, Lord, 
This is something I can't control. Please help me to trust you and take this, this worry off my list. Or perhaps you're worried about your children. You want them to grow up into men and women who love God and others. You want them to be safe. But is there anything that you can do that will absolutely ensure how your children will turn out? No. You can't do anything to guarantee their future godliness. Their future is in God's big circle, not in your little circle. Or maybe your kids are are already grown, but they're not living the life that you had hoped they would live. You keep yourself up at night playing over the past and trying to figure out where it went wrong. What you should have done differently and what you need to do now. Actually, changing your your teenager or adult children should never be on your list of what you should do today. But there is that smaller circle. In that circle, you'll find God's call to love your children well today. What could you do? You could slip a note into his lunch. You could pray for her heart to change. Share something God has taught you recently. Listen to what her world is like. Welcome her friends. Your step of obedience will always be smaller than the problem. In every area of your life where there is trouble, God is calling you to a small step of faith and love. He's not calling you to solve what is wrong. Tackling the problems in the large six-foot circle is his job. Your call to love will never be as big as what is wrong. Go through your entire list of worries. Notice that what God is calling you to do is always less than the bad things that might happen. Just knowing this will bring peace and sanity back into your life. Your troubles do not rest on your shoulders. You are living in a really big, confusing world where there is trouble. But you are in a relationship with an even bigger God who is in charge of his world. He has a purpose for you in every situation where there is trouble. God is calling you to be constructive in a very small corner of his world. Remember every day that God is in charge of the world and he is watching over his sheep. And then ask God each day to show you what small, constructive thing he is calling you to do. Then be obedient to follow his commands. Remember that anxiety is like a red warning light on the dashboard of your car. The red light tells you that there is a problem. But it doesn't tell you exactly what the problem is. The anxiety you are experiencing is pointing to a real problem. Ask God to show you the problem underlying your anxiety. Then bring that problem to him and ask him to help you trust him with all the big and small things that are troubling you. Ask him to show you what you are trusting in instead of him and ask for forgiveness. Dare to believe in the forgiveness of sins and that God's good care for you is constant through all of your very real troubles. Then decide what small act of love God is calling you to do today and take a step of faith and do the one small thing. 
as we said in the beginning, we tend to be anxious about the things that we care about. Our goal is not a life where we don't care about anything. You're not looking for an anxiety-free life, but for a life where you, minute by minute, cast all your cares on him who cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God is in control. He is sovereign. He is good. He can be trusted. If you have been adopted into his family, then he loves you. He cares for you. So when we watch the news, or are talking with friends, and we begin to notice that anxiety creeping in, we stop. We pray. We give it over to him, and we trust in his plans and in his timing. He is near, and he wants you to come to him in prayer. Let's pray together now. Father God, we need you. And every hour of every day, we need you. Father, we confess that we we really struggle with taking this for granted. And at times, we may even struggle to believe it. Help our unbelief. Help us to see our need to call out to you in prayer. Our need to sing songs of praise to you. Our need to run to you in your word our need to be in community with other believers, and even our need to go through hard things in life. We thank you that you provided all of these things to draw us closer to you. And we pray that you continue to work on our hearts in these areas. We confess that we desire to be in control, and at times it is a struggle to submit to your control. We confess that at times we trust your gifts more than we trust you, the giver of gifts. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you show us every day. Thank you that you want us to come to you and depend on you. Give us the strength to do that each day. Give us the strength to do that today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.